Would you pray with me? Father, you are worthy. We humble ourselves before you now, humble our hearts before you to hear from you, to hear what you would have for us. We thank you for your great love with which you have loved us. The love you showed in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, the love you showed to us on a daily basis. Lord, we pray that we would love you and walk with you by faith. Fill us with the Holy Spirit now as we look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're doing a sermon series here in the book of Proverbs. Uh, we're finishing it up next Sunday, so I just want to encourage you, if you've been reading through it, uh, ramp that up right now. If you haven't been reading through it, I, I still want to encourage you, maybe this week is the week where you read through the book of Proverbs and, and pick a couple of favorites. Again, I would, one of the reasons that we do sermon series through books of the Bible here at Cornerstone is because we, we want these books to stick with you, and one of the ways that they can stick with you is if you pick a verse and, and memorize it. So that maybe years down the road you could say, oh yeah, Proverbs, I, I know a couple of those. And uh, so I'm gonna, again, I encourage you, pick some favorites, memorize them, it's still not too late. The theme, the, the title of this sermon series is Good for the Body, Good for the Soul. Wisdom is the main theme in the book of Proverbs, so say many theologians, and I, I believe I would agree with them at this point in my study. So our goal is to apply wisdom to every area of our lives, and one of the ways that the book of Proverbs helps us with that is by using the analogy of body parts to do that. Now, um, after last Sunday's sermon, this was funny, I was not expecting this. Somebody came up to me and said, I have another sermon you should do in this sermon series. But... Not B-U-T-T, but B-U-T. It's in Proverbs all the time. And I, it was right. I counted 250 times the word but is in there. So we're not going to do that one. But um, there's something in that that I, I've said many times. The book of Proverbs works with contrasts. So uh, that's one of the lessons from Proverbs. There's a right way to live, but there's a wrong way to live. And we have to be careful with that. Well, we're not going to do that one today. Today we are going to look at the ring finger. Now, I know that the words ring finger are not in the book of Proverbs, so I'm, I'm taking a little bit of artis artistic license here in the title of my sermon today, but family is in the book of Proverbs all over the place. So that's what we're looking at today. And um, the outline for my sermon today is actually the same as a children's rhyme. You can finish it with me if you want. First comes love then comes marriage, then comes the baby and the baby carriage. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do love, and then we're going to do marriage, and then we're going to do kids. Okay? And that is the right order to do it. And, and I just want to say, just uh, culturally speaking, there has been a huge shift in our culture in the last 50 years. Those of you who are um, on the grayer side of things, you've probably seen this, that our, our culture has devalued marriage so terribly and I just want to say that this children's rhyme gets it right. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby. And I just would also like to say if any of you have, have done that in the wrong order or look back at your life and, and feel like you know, there's anything in that regard that you messed up, my point isn't to condemn anybody. That's not my job. Okay? I, I am not your judge and I don't, I don't point scripture at people like that to condemn what I would like for all of us to do today is to be on the same page moving forward to say God has a good plan for us. Whatever his plan is for us, we want to be on board. And I would like to suggest that marriage is part of God's plan. Uh, not for everybody, and I'll talk about that. I'll talk about singleness a little bit later. Um, but I would just like to say that our culture is not on board in general with God's plan, and specifically in regard to marriage, and, and we should be. 
So, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby. So, let's go to our first point today. Number one, in his love, God invites us into his family. In 1 John 4, we see a short but powerful phrase. It's actually in there twice. In verse 8 and verse 16, it says, God is love. And it's amazing how much theology is packed into those three little words. God is love. And when we think about our story, really, it should start there. The story is that in his love, God wants us to be with him forever. But there's a huge problem. It's the problem that Adam and Eve faced in the Garden of Eden when they were kicked out due to their sin. They were created to have perfect fellowship with God and by their sin they messed it up and they had to get kicked out of the garden. And it's the same thing for us. We have all shown ourselves to be like Adam and Eve, that we have chosen our own direction in life. If God has a path for us, we had all rejected that and turned and gone the other way. That's what the Bible describes as sin and we were all guilty of it. And if God didn't do anything to step in, we would have been separated from God for all eternity. But remember, in his love, God invites us into his family. And in his love, he sent Jesus Christ for us. Jesus Christ came here and lived a perfect life, the life that we were supposed to live but didn't. He lived it for us. And then, at the end of his life on earth, as he was nailed to a cross, he took our sin penalty upon himself. So that anyone who receives him can have complete forgiveness. Our sin was placed on him so that his righteousness could be placed on us. What a transaction. What a gift. And it means, again, for all who receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, it means complete forgiveness and eternal life with God. The whole purpose of that is that God would cleanse us and make us righteous and holy so that we could be with him forever. That's God's heart for us. And did you know, I think you know this, that one of the ways the Bible talks about this whole process is that God makes us his children. He adopts us. Uh, John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So as we talk about family today, please know that God's heart for you is that you would be in his family. Similarly, Galatians 3.26 says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That is, those who place their faith in Christ Jesus are God's children. Praise the Lord. That's who we are. We are invited into God's family. Now as we start to think about God's family, and then we start to think about our own families, we maybe start to think, well, hey, my, my family isn't perfect like, like God is. And maybe some of you here grew up in families that were horrible. And if that's the case, one thing I would just like to say is, I hope you have the wisdom to see the difference between God's perfection and the imperfection that we've seen here on earth. And that you don't hold that against God, but you just recognize that, that that's part of this fallen world that we live in. And that perhaps what you need to do is look back with forgiveness. on on your past in that. Um, So we're supposed to love each other. And and in God's family, in the church, we're really supposed to love each other. It doesn't always happen perfectly like that, but that's the goal. And although it doesn't happen perfectly, I have still heard story after story after story of people who have heard God's love through the church. So again, I just... As we're looking at this first point, God invites us into his family in love, and in this family we're supposed to show the love of God to each other. So a couple Bible verses I want to show you on this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9-10. through 10. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. 
And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So Paul was saying to this specific church, they were doing a good job. But then look what he said. Even though they were doing a good job, that last phrase there, yet we urge you brothers to do so more and more. So do you see in verse 9, the end of it there, our, our love for each other, it comes from God. We, we have been taught by God to love each other. And it's that love from God that is to flow through us and to those people around us more and more. So the model is the love that God has for us. So that's why I started with this point number one. We're, getting, we're going to get into husbands and wives and parents and children. But before we get there, I felt it appropriate to talk about God's love for us because that is the love that informs us how we are to love others. It is the love that flows through us so that we have the power to love others. So let's move on to our second point now, which is husbands and wives. Husbands and wives. And by the way... Uh, my artwork in this series, hasn't it been phenomenal? Do they give out a Nobel Prize for artwork? And um, could I get one? I don't know. Who do I call to get that? But um, a few weeks ago, somebody noticed that the lips that I had put on when we did the mouse series, they looked like female lips. So I decided to go with a female ring here. So that's, that's what we're doing here. But, uh, we're talking about marriage here. And the, the verse that I want to show you, the key verse for this section, is Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. It's interesting. I read a theologian this week. He said that the, the number one thing that God wants to give us through the book of Proverbs is wisdom. Wisdom is something that God offers to us. God gives it to us. And when we receive it, it is a good thing. But this theologian said that the, perhaps the second best gift that we read about in the book of Proverbs is that of a good spouse. So I found, I found that pretty interesting. That God has a high view of marriage. That, that um, yes, he wants to give us all wisdom, but then also for those who are blessed with a spouse, that that is also a gift from the Lord. And if we think back to the second chapter of the Bible, Genesis 2, we see that Adam was alone before God created Eve. Remember, Adam was looking at all the animals and they each had their pair, but Adam didn't have one. Remember what God said there? In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So one of God's very good gifts to humankind is the gift of marriage. Although, let me just stop here and, and just recognize that there are many people in this world who would like to be married, but are not. Uh, maybe even some people in this room. And uh, I, I struggled with this one for what seemed to me to be a very, very long time. Although, looking back, I was 28 when I got married, so I guess it wasn't all that long. But I'd always thought I'd be married by 21, and it just took Christine a long time to... No, I know, that's not the problem, no. <laughs> that actually went pretty quickly once I met Christine, but... Um, took me a while to find her. So, uh, where were you hiding? I don't know. Um, so I struggled with this. And one of the great lessons that I learned on singleness was a lesson of contentment. And I think the reason I learned it is because I struggled so badly before I had it. And, and God just knew that I needed it. So in his mercy, he gave me this lesson. And the lesson that I learned eventually on contentment was that God is enough. That if we have God, we have what we need. And if there are things that we don't need, or excuse me, if there are things that we don't have, but we want them, we can still look to God and say, God, I trust in you. And, and the contentment is great here because th there were some people that just said, oh, all you have to do is just get to that place where you don't want to be married and then God will give you your spouse. And I, I always thought that just sounded wrong. And I, what, I would, what I rather would like to believe is that even if we have this desire that is not met, that we can have contentment in the midst of that that we can have joy and peace. So whether that's 
marriage, whether it's anything else in life, if there's something you don't have, something that you want desperately, you can still have contentment and joy and peace from the Lord because He is enough. He will meet every need that we have. And uh, first and foremost, that comes in our relationship with Christ that we look to him first. We trust that he is all that we need. And then as we look to anything else around us, we say, okay, God, here's something I don't have, but what are you providing for me? And if, if the goal is marriage, and you want that, but you don't have it, perhaps you can just look around and see what God has given you. The blessing of friends. The blessing of a church family. Again, I've met many people who have said that my, my church family has basically become my family. And then just one other thing I would like to say is that I have compassion for those who are single, and I hope that we all do. Uh, I pray uh, for those who are single. And I, I don't know all the, the struggles that all people have with this, but I, I do pray. But I also want you to trust God. And again, this goes for any, any unmet desire that any of you would have. Just trust in the Lord that he will give you what you need. Okay, but having said that, let's get back to marriage now. And remember that in Proverbs 18.22, it says that he who finds a wife finds what is good. Proverbs 19.14 also tells us houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So the word prudent there is basically a synonym for the word wise. Wisdom, again, is probably the, the main theme of the book of Proverbs. And a wise wife is a gift from the Lord. And I would just like to say that I am blessed with a wise wife. I have been impressed many times over, Christine, by your wisdom. So, um, and I have met many other, wisdom in this, many other women in this congregation who are also very wise. Uh, I think that many of the husbands in this congregation are very blessed in that regard. Um, so it's interesting. This is a very, very high view of marriage in Proverbs 19.14. But if we look at the verse right before it, there's also a warning. Proverbs 19.13 says, A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Now, I, I take no special delight in saying this verse, although Proverbs also does tell us how it's better to live on the corner of a roof or in a desert than to live with a quarrelsome wife. And, and let's just, this isn't just for wives. This is for all of us. Let's be careful with our words. A few weeks ago, we looked at our mouths from the book of Proverbs. And one of the lessons there is we have to be so careful about what comes out of our mouths. And, and please know that marriage is one of, the, one of the worst places for this to happen. It's one of the unfortunately, easiest places for this to happen, that the, that the person that we love the most in life is sometimes the person that we treat the worst. And I just want to urge you, if that's you, just look at yourself in the mirror and, and recognize this is not how I should be living in my marriage. I should not be saying those kinds of hurtful, awful, quarrelsome things to my spouse. And I just, I just want us all to, to take pause here and consider what we're doing there. So, Marriage was meant to be a good thing. Let's not our, let our marriages degrade into anger or bitterness or squabbles or unkind words. Uh, to highlight what a good marriage can be, I want to go now to Proverbs 31. This is perhaps one of the most famous sections of the book of Proverbs. Um, in there, it highlights a wife of noble character. And although this, this is talking about a wife, I would like to say that this wife is... She's like a supermodel, not in, not in looks, but in the way that she acts. She is such a good example for all of us. Man, woman, child, this is a woman that we all can look at and learn from. So that's what we're going to do. I want to encourage you, open up your Bibles to Proverbs 31, and I'm going to read through verses 10 through 31. I'm just going to kind of stop along the way and, and talk about some of the verses there. 
So Proverbs 31.10, A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Now, this phrase translated wife of noble character could perhaps better be translated as woman of strength. So that's what we're going to call her. She is a woman of strength. She is the woman who is ready to meet whatever the Lord sends her way. She's an example for all of us. So verses 11 through 13. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. Now that verse there, verse 13, she works hard with her hands. Earlier in our Proverbs sermon series, we looked at Proverbs 10.5, which says, He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son. So this woman here, this woman of strength, is both wise and hard-working. Then verses 14 through 15. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. So we see in verse 15 that this woman of strength, she provides both for her family and for her servants. We see later on in verse 20 that she also takes care of the poor and the needy. So this woman is a model of Christ-like servant leadership, that she is not looking only to her own interests, but she is looking to the interests of those around her, and she is doing what she can to take care of them and to provide for them. Then verses 16 to 21. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. In verse 21, and we can relate to this in Minnesota, even in hot summer, we know winter is coming. And this woman of strength is looking ahead to winter and is preparing ahead to make sure that her family is well provided for in winter. So again, the wisdom there, both to, to look ahead and to plan ahead to make sure that her family is ready. Then verses 22 to 23, she makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. In verse 23, we see that this woman's husband is respected. He takes his seat among the elders of the land. Now, perhaps you've heard the phrase, behind every great man there's an even greater woman. Well, there's a lot of truth in that. And this woman is working hard such that her husband is respected. So she's speaking well of him. She's working hard. And one of the things that happens is that he earns a good reputation from her work. Now, husbands, uh, later on we're going to talk about what we can do in, um, in response to that as well. But this woman of strength works hard to show respect for her husband. And, and think about how poorly our society does in this. It, it's become commonplace or even humorous for women to bash their husbands. Think of how much of that we see, whether it's on TV or in the movies or on Facebook or wh wherever it might be. It's become commonplace. And, and I would just say both to husbands and wives, let's learn to speak well of each other. Okay, verses 24 to 26. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. So in verse 26, we see that she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction. Wisdom, again, is perhaps the main theme of Proverbs, and this woman has learned it. And then I love this phrase, faithful instruction. It takes two of the richest 
theological words in the Old Testament and, and puts them into one phrase. That, that first word for faithful is the word for loving kindness. It's the loving kindness that God has shown to us. And then that second word, instruction, is the word for God's instruction. Sometimes it's translated as God's law, but it's more than just his law. It's what God wants to teach us. So this woman, this woman of strength, has learned God's love and God's word. And she has learned them so well that her tongue is ready with them at a moment's notice. So again, what a great example for us. Have we learned the love of God and the word of God so well that we can speak them at a moment's notice? May that be one of the goals of our lives that we would get to know God's love and God's word so well that we're ready to speak them. Then 27 to 28. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. In verse 28, we see how this woman's family is to treat her. The, the kids are supposed to arise and call her blessed. So kids, you can say nice things to your parents. And, and that's a homework assignment for you kids. I want you kids to think of something nice to say to your mom. Pick out something that's really good about your mom and tell her that today. And then similarly, the husbands also, in verse 28, can do the same thing. I'll give the same homework assignment to you husbands. Pick out something that your wife is doing well and then say it to her. And then maybe just in general, even in the congregation, for, for our single women out there, let's just maybe uh, do the same thing for them. Let's encourage them. Let's, let's uh, take note of something praiseworthy that they have done, and, and let's tell them as well. Then verses 28 to 31. Um, her husband also, and he praises her. Verse 29. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Now it's interesting here. It, it kind of says, you know, it doesn't really matter if your wife is charming or beautiful because a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And what I would say is, I got both. So I'm, I've got a woman who fears the Lord and is beautiful. So I'm very blessed in that. Um, we husbands are to love and support our wives and here's one of the ways that I would say this. God has a path for our wives. Okay, husbands, God has a path for our wives. Would you agree with that? Our job is to love and to support them so that they can take that path that, that God has for them, which encourage them as they take that. So husbands, tell your wife what it is that you see in her that is praiseworthy. Okay, one other thing about marriage that I, I feel I should mention here before we go on to our next uh, category Proverbs has a lot to say about what we should stay away from in our marriage. In fact, whole chapters are devoted to it in the book of Proverbs. And what we should stay away from is adultery. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Isn't that just such a wise verse? I mean, think about the, the imagery of that and then what it's teaching us. We are to stay away from adultery. And I believe that means that we are to stay away from it in every form. That means no lust, that means no pornography. That means no fantasizing about other people. That means that we be faithful in every way that we can in our marriages. And if there's anything that you're caught up in in that, I just want to urge you to get away from it because it's fire and you can't play with it without getting burned. Okay, now let's move on to our third and final section. Parents and children. The key verse here is another famous one in Proverbs 22.6. says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, 
in Proverbs, as I've mentioned before, the, the book of Proverbs often speaks in generalities, and if you look hard enough, you can find an exception. For example, it talks about the hard-working, fa- uh, hard-working farmer. He's the one who usually has a crop. But I say usually because the hard-working farmer isn't immune to hail or drought or other things that could take his crop away. It's just saying that in general, the farmer who works hard is the one who's going to have a crop, as opposed to the lazy farmer who is probably not going to have a crop. Now, again, you can find exceptions, and when we get to Proverbs 22.6, you can certainly find exceptions. You can find faithful, faithful parents whose children just aren't walking with Jesus. But I think what this verse is saying is that in general, if we want our kids to walk with Jesus, that we should train them up in the way that they should go. Now, this verse is a very interesting verse. That word train there at the beginning of the verse, it's a a word from a a neighboring language. So the, the Hebrews, they borrowed this word, And the word talks about how people in that culture would train their infants to nurse. And what they would do is they would take a mixture of dates and rub it on the palate of the mouth of the infant to teach the infant how to suck and to nurse. So you see what they're doing there. They are training the child how to take in food. Now, spiritually speaking, that's what we are to do with our kids. We are to train our children how to take in their spiritual nourishment. And then the next part of the verse, train a child in the way he should go, literally that says train a child in his way, which is interesting. Train a child in his way. Now, let me say this. The gospel and the Bible are the same for every kid. We don't change that. So we as parents are to, are to teach our children the gospel. We are to teach them the Bible. But God has an individual path for each one of us. And, and your path is going to look different than my path. And it's the same with, your, with our kids. Not all of our kids are going to have the exact same path because God has specific things for each one that he has prepared ahead of time for them to walk around in. So our job as parents is to know the Bible and the gospel so well, but also to know our kids so well that we can show them the way that God has for them. So parents, get to know your kids. Get to know their strengths and their weaknesses. Train them to use their strengths. Help them in their weaknesses to learn how they can overcome them in Christ. And again, this all comes from the Bible and and from God's gospel. But even, let me just say this, as as a general tip for how we interpret the Bible, the, the meaning of the Bible doesn't change from one person to another, from one culture to another, from one age to another. The meaning of the Bible is the same, but the way that we apply it in specific situations with specific people can be different. So the wisdom in that is that we would get to know God's word so well, and again, get to know our children so well, that we can show them God's word and show them how it applies to their life. So I think of my kids, I have four kids, and and I don't think that, you know, they might not all end up with the same profession. So my job is to, to teach them, in whatever profession they might go into, to learn how to apply God's word to their specific circumstance. So again, get to know God and his word, get to know your kids, and teach your kids how to apply God's word to their lives. Train up a child in his way. And then it says, when he is old, he will not turn from it. So what we do with that is we pray, God, I've I've taught them your ways, but it's up to you. Would you please strengthen them, uh, strengthen their hearts, that they might always stay on your way. And then, kids, what about you? What's your part in this? Um... Kids are to listen to their parents. Kids are to listen. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, when our, our job as parents is to teach you kids the Bible and 
Kids, I want you to know that that's a really important part of what you are to do is to listen. At our house, the way that this went is from an early age, we started doing devotions with our kids. We opened up the Bible, and before our kids even probably knew what those words meant, they, they saw us opening the Bible. And in, in our house, that's been a really good thing. We have set the pattern that, that we have devotions in our house, and our kids can tell you when it's devotion time. Um, now, some of you maybe feel inadequate for that. And let me just talk about that. that. That as parents, it's our job to train our children. And some parents are like, well, hey, that's, who am I to do that? I barely know God's word. And what I would just say is you have an advantage in that you're older and you know where you're going. And when you open up the Bible with them, you might not know all that there is to know about it. I don't know all that there is to know about the Bible either. But we can lead our children even if we don't know much. And over the years, what you will see is that your kids will grow in their faith and you will grow in your faith. I have heard so many teachers of children say, some, and myself included, say something like this. I learned more than the kids learned when I taught them that children's message. So it's okay. Start now. Um, even if your kids are a little bit older and you haven't been doing it, start now. If your kids are young, start now. Train your children. You know, we're, we're rubbing that mixture of dates on their palate. We're trying to give them a taste for God's word. And God will do his powerful work in our hearts and in our lives. Jesus prayed that we would be made holy according to the truth of God's word. That's true for you and it's true for your kids and God is at work answering that prayer right now. And may we be committed to continue to train our children with God's word, getting to know them, helping them with this. So now kids, what's your part? This is the part where I, I need all the kids to listen, okay? All kids' eyes on me here, on God's word. Proverbs 6, 20-22. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. It's not enough for your parents simply to tell you what's right. You have to listen, right kids? You know that one. God gave you parents so that they could help you know God and walk with God. One of the Ten Commandments is that you would honor your father and mother. And by the way, that commandment, I believe that applies to adult children as well, that we are still to honor our father and our mother. And, um, yeah, so kids, let me ask you a few questions about this. The commandment is to honor your father and mother. Does that mean that you should honor your father and mother only when they ask you to do things that you already wanted to do? No? Okay, I... That's the right answer. Does it mean that you should honor your father and mother only as long as they don't embarrass you? No. Does it mean that you should honor your father and mother only as they allow you to do things that your friends do? No. Honoring our father and mother is a way for us to acknowledge that God has a plan for our lives, and part of that plan is that we have parents who lead us, and, and it's their job to lead, us, to lead you into what's right. Now, parents, we have a huge responsibility in that to get to know God's word and to teach God's word to our kids. But kids, you have a responsibility too to listen to what your parents are telling you. Your parents love you and want what's best for you, so listen to them as they teach God's word to you. Now, what happens, parents, if our kids don't obey? That's where discipline comes in. And discipline is not a fun thing to talk about. So let's talk about it first from God's perspective. What does God do for us in regard to discipline? In the book of Hebrews, there are two phrases. One says that the Lord disciplines those he loves, and another is that he disciplines us for our good. 
So when discipline comes from God, when we have strayed from that path, God loves us so much that he wants us back on that path, so sometimes he sends discipline, but he does it for our good. The, the end result of his discipline is that we would be in the place where God wants us to be. Now, for us parents, we sometimes struggle with discipline. Sometimes, parents, if we're honest, the goal of our discipline is just that our kids would stop annoying us. But I, I hope that we have a higher goal than that. And we, parents, we've been there, right? Sometimes our kids are just doing something frustrating and we lash out at them. And if we think about it, really, our, our intention there was more about us than about training their hearts. So parents, we have to do better than that. Um, and let's, let's talk a little bit about how parents, we can discipline. Here's what Proverbs 13:24 says. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. So again, love and discipline go together. Now this verse talks about the rod, and, and I, I'm not going to get into a big long treaty on, on what kind of um, punishment we should or shouldn't use, although I do have a few words to say on it. And, and it, going back to that key verse, Proverbs 22, 6, we need to get to know our children. We're to train our child on his way. So I, I think in regard to discipline, that means we get to, need to get to know each kid and learn what discipline will be best for them. For example, one of our kids didn't respond very well to spanking. That when we would spank him, he would think it was a fight and he would try to fight back at us. And I realized I didn't want to train him that when he gets angry, he should fight and hit. So I, I realized that, nope, spanking might not be the best one for that kid, but we learned that timeouts were way more effective. So we did that. Um, with other kids, sometimes they respond very well to, a, to an appropriate spank. And let me, always, let me say this too, that if there's spanking, I think it should always be done not in anger. We, we don't spank to get back at our kids for what they've done to us. If we use spanking, we're using it to, to show them this is something that you should not have done, so your punishment is a spanking. And if you can't do it with a gentle heart, then you probably shouldn't do it. But we, we parents need to learn how to have careful discipline that's done in love, that's done with the heart intent of training their heart. Now, kids, let me talk to you for a little bit. What's better, to obey or to get punished? That's an easy one, right? So... Children, all you have to do is obey your parents and then there's not going to be discipline. And if you think that there's some rule that's just so unfair, talk to your parents about that. In our house, we talk about responsibility. So if, if you kids show responsibility and then you talk to us, hey, I think one of these rules is a little bit outdated, then show that responsibility and we'll talk about changing that rule. But you do have to obey. Kids, you have to obey and parents, we have to love our kids so well that we train them in the right way, that we discipline them in the right way, that we sh show them God's love. Okay, my conclusion today. God puts us in families for good reasons. Ultimately, God wants us to be part of his family forever. That's why we started with God's love for us. He invites us into his family. Now, as we wait for our perfect family reunion in heaven, we are to show love to our families here, and that includes our church families. So are you actively involved in the fellowship of the believers here? Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ the way that you should be? And for those of you who are married, are you loving your spouse the way that God loves them? Are your words kind? Are you supportive? Are you encouraging? Are you working hard in your marriage? A good spouse is a gift from the Lord. Let's, let's remember that. Let's learn to speak well of each other. And then parents and kids, let's respect each other. So kids, that's where you obey your parents. And parents, this is where we love our children so well that we would seek to do our best to train them in the ways of the Lord. 
Sometimes our family relationships can get very difficult. That's a result of sin in this world. But God can restore. Let's let God train us how to love our families well. And let's let our families shine as lights in this dark world. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this idea of family. We thank you first and foremost that you invite us into your family through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that every one of us would have faith in Jesus Christ and would keep walking with you. And then, God, we pray that as we love you, that your love would overflow through us to those around us, to our church family, to our spouses, to our kids, to our friends and neighbors and co-workers. Help us to love the way that you want us to love. And in marriages specifically, Lord, I pray, as I often pray, that you would strengthen each marriage and cornerstone, that we would love and encourage each other. Lord, help us to, to show that love to each other. Help us to watch our mouths and to, to build each other up. And God, I pray for your blessing on every parent-child relationship here as well. We pray that parents would do such a great job of training children in your ways and in, in the way that you have for the children. So help us to get to know you more and more and to get to know our kids more and more and to train them on the way they should go. Lord, we pray that the kids would obey too. Help them to have hearts that are ready to learn from you through their parents. And God, in general, we pray for wisdom in all of this. We thank you that you've set us in families. We pray that we would be wise in the way that we act around our families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.